my name is Craig. I'm a covenant member here at the well, and I'm in the Mueller CG. Come on, come on. Today I'll be reading from Matthew 20, 1 through 16. You would turn there with me. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you, gave, and you have made them equal to us who have been born excuse me, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. All right, Saints, how are we? Good. Hey, I'm excited, uh, honestly privileged to be here with you all today. Love this church. Uh, man, I'm really grateful for what God is doing in our body, what God is doing uh, in me through this body. And so uh, it is good to be here. Uh, I'm also here to correct a little bit of Yusuf's theology last week. Uh, he had us all boosting Starbucks stock by 2%. If you don't believe me, I have a graph of that up here. There was Sunday, and look at us, y'all. We did that, <laughs> all right? Like, he had grown brothers out here looking like, uh, can I get a pumpkin, pumpkin thing, all right? And so, uh, yesterday, I went to Starbucks, and I felt all sus ordering that drink, and uh, yo, low-key, that mug slaps, all right? <laughs> the drinketh slappeth. So, uh, Yusuf had a clever way of tying that into the sermon. I don't, so we're gonna jump in, all right? Uh, we are back in Matthew in our uniquely Jesus sermon series. Uh, and today we're looking at the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. So uh, I will explain toward the end of this message today uh, why we think this is important to Matthew. Uh, but it's important to realize that in this section of his book, Matthew is actually copying Mark almost word for word. In fact, in chapter 19, all the way through chapter 21, Matthew and Mark, as you see, they're almost completely parallel. Jesus teaches on divorce, and then he says, let the children come, and then he tells of the rich man, and then he goes into foretelling of his death, and then James and John's mom is like, hey, can my sons rule, and can they reign with you, right? So they got their mama asking what they wanted to do, got their mama doing their dirty work. Shady, right? Jesus then heals some blind men. Mark just happened to remember his name. Matthew apparently didn't care about his name, right? 
But then we go to the triumphal entry. Jesus cleanses the temple, curses the fig tree. The people question Jesus's authority. So literally there is all of this parallel, but then right in the middle of this, Matthew inserts this parable that we will be reading today. And so this parable must mean a lot to Matthew if he would kind of break sequence and interject it in the midst of everything else that is happening. And it is significant to Matthew, and we'll see why here in a second. And so let's go ahead and process through this parable some, okay? You'll, you'll notice that this parable is one of those like brain twists, right? Just like a lot of Jesus's parables is meant to reorient our framework around uh, different things that Jesus might be talking about, like eternal life or what truly matters or justice or forgiveness or riches, or as Yusuf talked about last week, it's meant to reorient our perspective as to what actually matters. And Jesus is telling us here in the midst of this parable that he's going to kind of upside down our world just a little bit, and he's going to shift our perspective some. And so we see right in verse one, we got to notice what he's talking about. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this, okay? And so this parable It's meant to give us perspective on our future, on our eternity. It's meant to give us an idea of what the kingdom will be like. And therefore, what you and I should be trying to inaugurate now for the kingdom should come on earth as it is in heaven. So we are talking about the kingdom here. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a master who, this is clearly Jesus or God, who goes out and finds laborers. This is clearly us, Christians, those who are followers of Christ. Which, just really, really briefly here, isn't it insane that upon you entering into the kingdom, simultaneously you get this offer to serve a king and to make an impact in the kingdom of God? Like, like, think about what's saying here. Like, you got saved, right? God, but when God did that, he redeemed not just your soul, but he also gave you a purpose, He allows you to serve the kingdom. And now what you are doing is impacting the kingdom of God with our ratchet selves, y'all, right? Come on now, like you and I know that we do not deserve that privilege and yet God gives us that grace anyway. What we are doing is laboring for God. We are rich towards God, as Yusuf talked about at the end of the sermon last week. What you do matters, family, praise God, right? And so this man goes out, the, 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 the worker, or the master, and he hires some cats, and he agrees to pay them a denarius for the day. Now, a denarius or denarius was a good, respectable wage, okay? It wasn't like minimum wage. It was a respectable working salary. Now, that's a really important point for later in the parable, so keep that in your head there, Okay. And he goes out later around 9 a.m. and he realizes that there are other people that are standing there idle. Now that word idle is also a very important word because it's a little bit of a harder word to translate. But when we hear the word idle in English, particularly in this context, we tend to think of the word lazy, okay? But the context of this word does not signify laziness at all. Idle here actually signifies somebody who was unwanted. They were not wanted by others, so they had nothing to do. Okay, they were undesirable in that sense, but not to Jesus, 
right? Not to God. They may have been undesirable to others and therefore they, they didn't have a purpose or they didn't have a way to provide for their families or in the context of this story to provide for their eternities. And yet God saw them as valuable. You may be in this world and feel like no one wants you, like, like you don't have something to do for the kingdom, like, like you don't have something to offer, but this parable tells us God wants you, family. Like, like Jesus wants to hire you. He wants you in the kingdom of God. And he's coming back to the marketplace again, notice that there, to go out and to find you. You see, here's the interesting thing here is that all of the tenses in verse two made it seem like the master actually hired everyone that he needed for the day. He did not need to hire anyone else. And yet here he is in the marketplace looking once again to hire more people. In other words, God had no reason to hire you, family, right? Like, like he already had everything that he needed he did not have a, a need to hire you, but he did have a desire to hire you. He wants you in the vineyard. He wants you in the kingdom of God. Can you taste this graciousness, family? This kindness of God towards you? Like, God did not need humanity, right? And yet he saves us. And God did not need to save Gentiles, and yet he saved us. And God did not have to wait 2,000 years for you to be born and then another 25 years for you to finally come to faith before he accomplished his purposes. He had no need for you and yet he has desire for you, family. This is good news about our God. God wants you, beloved. Like I feel like someone's soul needs to hear that this afternoon. God wants you. Despite whatever, everything else, despite what you are telling yourself, this story would tell us something totally different. That God wants you in the vineyard. You are wanted by God, okay? I'm ahead of myself. Let's keep going. So he hires some cats, 9 a.m., right, or the third hour, noon, 3 p.m., and 5 p.m., or the 11th hour. So the Jews, they worked from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. And so the 11th hour, or 5 p.m. in our context, that's at the very end of the day. Now, Jesus, or the master's question here of like, why do you stand here? It's not a condemning question, right? He ain't like, why are you standing here? Right? Jesus ain't hood, okay? Because their answer gives us a key to that. They say, hey, no one wanted us. And so there's that idea of idol again, not being wanted. We are the downcast ones. We are the ones that are left out. We are the ones that nobody wanted. And Jesus is not in the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of God is like everyone is wanted by God. God desires all people in on the family. You are welcome into the kingdom of God to come in, know the king, and make a difference, beloved. That is good news this afternoon. And so the evening then comes after they do this work, and he's like, hey, go pay these cats last two first, okay? Now, that's a really important phrase there. Jesus is, he's given us a clue that we're gonna circle back around to here in a moment. And so the dudes that he hired at 5 p.m., they receive a denarius, a, a whole day's wages, though they got hired at 5 p.m. And so those who got hired first, they like, hey, right? They call their spouses, hey, baby, put on your dress. We're going to Roost Chris tonight, right? They started checking the sneakers out. They was planning on buying them new Jordans, all right? 
And then they got a denarius, and then they were salty, okay? Because let's be real, I would have been too. And so then they grumbled, it says, because they didn't go to men's and women's retreat and learn how bad grumbling is, right? And they was like, yo, dog, like, we was out here in this blistering Palestinian heat, okay? And these other cats, they was just chilling, probably shooting dice in the marketplace. This is not fair, is what they say. And you know good and well that you would say the same thing. Right? Like, because the story is intentionally set up to mess with our minds. Because let's keep it real. It, it doesn't seem fair. Right? Like, like it doesn't. Okay? Like, that's not how life is supposed to work in that way. Like, listen, I get paid more than Travis. Okay? Like, because I, I've planted a lot. I've, I've been here for 10 years. I, I have more responsibilities than Travis has. Travis is a resident. It doesn't mean that one of us is more or less important. It just kind of makes sense. I don't think anybody would be like, oh, that's weird, right? And yet here we are. Jesus is like, yeah, that's not what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it begins to reorient our minds a little bit. And I'm tempted to be like, well, wait a minute then. Why in the world am I serving you right now? <laughs> right? Like, like I'm dying, y'all, serving in this church, like, like literally. Like, ask my wife how many gray hairs this season alone has put on my face. It's a lot of them, literally dying, okay? I'm laying down my life, and you're saying that homie who got saved when he's 88 on their deathbed that we're getting the same thing, right? That just seems unjust, okay? Maybe you're holier than I am, but I'm like, give me my money, <laughs> right? Okay, and now if God were the way that a lot of us would paint him to be in our minds and in our hearts, then as we're complaining, the God that we paint would be like, boy, I should smite your tail or whatever version of God you have. My God kind of hood, you know what I'm saying, right? You're complaining and you're like, yes, 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 sorry, God, okay? But, but that's not how our God responds, right? He doesn't even respond to all of them. Notice that all of them are complaining, but he looks at one of them already a gracious act. And then he says, friend to them. Okay. Hey, hey, I know, I know this is hard to understand, but I love you. You're not just some random laborer that I picked out in the vineyard earlier this day. I know you and I love you. You are my friend. Let me explain this to you. God is gentle. He's lowly. He's gracious. He's kind. He says, hey, Hey, we agreed to this, right? This is a good wage, actually. I, I'm not being unfair to you. And can we be real, right? Like, technically, God is not being unfair, but doesn't it still seem a little bit unfair, right? Like, it's like, okay, yeah, technically, you're being fair. Technically, you are fulfilling your contractual agreement, but doesn't it leave you feeling a little bit like, wait, what? What are we talking about here? Okay, this is a mind twist parable. And the way that Jesus is trying to reorient our minds around what the kingdom of heaven like is insane, y'all. It is insane, okay? Ask Yusuf or Jenna or Hannah. I was freaking out in the office this week when I found out what he was doing here. Like I couldn't control myself because it's an unbelievable upside down when we see what I think Christ wants us to see here. In fact, I began exegesis this week telling my team, I have no true idea what this parable really means or how I'm going to teach it, okay? 
I, like, I understand a little bit, like I understand some of the principles high level, but I have no idea what God is really wanting to do. And then we prayed and I feel like the Holy Spirit completely unfolded some really cool things I haven't seen before. So I'm gonna try to lay this out for us, okay? But I'm gonna be candid up front. I learned this six days ago. So we're gonna journey together a little bit, amen? Amen. Give me some grace, okay? There are two significant things in this story that totally twist this story on its head, okay? The first idea is that this is intentionally set up by Christ to be a mind twist. Jesus is saying the kingdom is not how you expect it to be. It does not operate the way that you think the kingdom should operate like. You are the worker who thinks it should operate like this. I work the longest, therefore I should receive five denarius since this dude received one because I worked longer, but it doesn't work like this. We get paid the same. But that's not a bad thing if you see the kingdom rightly, if you can reorient your mind around what Christ is actually saying here. In fact, the kingdom of heaven, if we paint it like that in terms of fairness, is going to be a really terrible kingdom that you may not want to be a part of. But if it's how Jesus paints it, then I think that all of us will want to be there as fast as humanly possible. It is far more beautiful than we can imagine. And so if it's how the master thinks it should be, then what he says in verse four is really key. He says, I give you whatever is right, okay? If that is how the kingdom is, then the kingdom of heaven is profound because it depends on what the master thinks is right. But once you realize what the master thinks is right, you will worship Jesus forever, family. So journey with me here, okay? Like try not to get lost in the woods as we're journeying in this together, but we gotta go off the trail a little bit for a second, cool? And I ain't a good hiker, I don't like outside, so all right? First of all, notice the phrase at the end here. He says, do you begrudge my generosity? Now that word begrudge, that's not the normal word for the word begrudge. It's not saying, do you spite my generosity? That's the way that we use the word begrudge in English. Do, do you spite me? And if it's read like that, it's like, I can kind of see that. At least that's not all that is saying. The Greek word literally translates, is your eye bad? Is your eye bad? And then that word generosity is not the normal word for generosity, like a lot of money or giving a lot. It's actually the word for goodness. And so is your eye bad that I am good? And it's not translated like that directly in your Bible because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But if you look at your footnote, it probably is, right? Because that's the actual way it's translated in the Greek. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, do you see things the way you should actually see them? Are you seeing the kingdom correctly? Is your vision really 2020 or has it gone bad because of the tainted nature of this world? Do you see things rightly? Your eyes are bad, family. You do not see the kingdom the way that you should be seeing the kingdom. And so I'm paying everyone the exact same thing to help reorient your eyes so that you can see things clearly. And so there's the reworked sentence up there that you can see what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is not like this kingdom. And this is so, so important to realize, y'all. Our eyes are bad. We don't see the kingdom rightly. And so we are going to, just like the worker, we're gonna see this payment as unfair. But what if we're just not seeing things the way that we ought to see them? Like, like what if your eye for the kingdom is bad, the well church? What if your eyes for the kingdom are bad? Like, like what if you're not even reading this parable correctly? You're not, 
okay? We'll get back to that in a second, but our eyes are bad, okay? Secondly, there's another thing he does there. There's that phrase again, the last and the first, okay? Now, Jesus is giving us another hint. He put it at the middle of the parable. He puts it here at the end of the parable. He's explaining what he is doing. And now it makes sense why Matthew interjects this parable here where he does and how he breaks Mark's sequence, okay? There's a reason why Jesus heals some blind men immediately after this parable. He foretells of his death and then he goes out and then he heals the blind men. In fact, go back to that sequence for me real quick. Um, I think it's the next slide maybe, yeah. We see him right afterwards, right? He's like, hey, I'm gonna die. And then James and John are like, yo, can we sit at the kingdom's throne? And he's like, uh, and then he goes and he heals some blind men, okay? It's because their eyes are bad and now Jesus is making them good. But here in this section, he says, hey, your eyes are bad and I want to make them good. He is physically doing in the next healing what he is spiritually talking about here. Our eyes are bad. We need to reorient ourselves to the kingdom, okay? And so that's what immediately follows this parable. But look real quick about what immediately precedes this parable, what happens right before There's the story of the rich man. He's unwilling to leave the different things that he has. But then Jesus says this, beginning in verse 27. It says, then Peter said in reply, yo Christ, we left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly, like I'm I'm seeking the truth here, okay? I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. There's that phrase again, okay? And so the rich man wasn't willing to leave everything to follow Christ, but the disciples did. And Jesus said, because of that, there will be a reward. And then the last will be first, the first will be last. And then he gives the parable that we just explained. Now, now notice here, okay, if, if you're tracking with me, don't get lost in the woods, all right? Like, like the disciples, they left everything and Jesus says that they're going to get a reward for this. In fact, they're going to get a hundredfold whatever it is that they sacrificed. But then he gives this parable and it seems like everyone is receiving the same thing. Mind twist, okay? He's trying to do something for us here. Either Jesus is really, really, really confused or your eye is bad and he's trying to reorient your eye, okay? So keep journeying for a second. We're still in the woods, all right? Don't get lost, okay? There's a lot of directions you could apply this parable, okay? For example, I'll give you a few. Uh, It is easy to not want others to have the same level of grace, the same level of forgiveness, the same level of intimacy with God, the same level of, of giftings or whatever it might be than we received who work harder than the other people as they receive it. We deserve God's grace or blessing or his kindness because we've been in the field longer. But think about the wickedness of our hearts there, y'all. If that's the position of our hearts, you forgot that you were unwanted at the beginning of the day. Like God, you had no reason being in the field in the first place and yet God invites you in so you should want this same grace for everyone. And so we can apply this saying, hey, listen, the grace that we have received, we want that over others as well. The forgiveness that you have received, you should want that over others as well. The same mercy, the same gifting, the same blessing, the same intimacy with Christ because you and I shouldn't have a job in the first place. And this is true. 
That is a way you can apply this parable. Uh, But I don't think it's the full thrust of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying our eyes are bad. That one's kind of easy to see, okay? Or you can apply this in the context of hope. It should give hope to the last ones that are hired. Like you may be older in this room thinking you wasted away your life, but Jesus gives the same grace to you, friend. He wants you in the kingdom of God. Or maybe you are one that thinks uh, you've done too many bad things as if Christ cannot redeem your life, but he still has a work for you to do, beloved. He still wants you into the kingdom of God. So this could be applied to hope, but I don't think that's the full thrust of what Jesus is doing there. Or you can apply it to the context of work, laboring for the kingdom. This story shows us there is a work to be done. We are the laborers. We are in a vineyard. Jesus intentionally chose you to labor away with him. That is good news, family. You have a work to do. You have purpose. That is awesome. Get in the game, right? We should not be a people who are hired by God's grace, but then we work as if we're still unemployed, right? Like like we should get in the game and we could apply it like this as well. You could also apply it with the outcast theme that we already talked about. These were the outcasts, the ones that no one wanted. So you may feel like nobody wants you, but God does, family. God wants you. And all of these are good. And they're all right applications. And there's actually a whole lot of other applications that you can pull from this. But I think there's a way deeper application, y'all. I think that Jesus in his mastery is trying to get us to understand the gospel Because here's what he says, the kingdom of heaven is like something, okay? And so if the kingdom of heaven is inaugurated by the gospel, then this story is not a picture of the workers mainly, it's actually a picture of the master mainly, okay? By looking at the workers, you get some good principles. There's some good application, but there's a way richer story, y'all. The kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house. The kingdom of heaven is like a master, we spent our whole time focusing on the laborers and Jesus said, the kingdom is like a master. We're focusing on the wrong thing. Our eyes are bad, y'all, right? We focus on ourselves. Listen, all the commentaries that I read, all of them were focusing on the laborers in the vineyard, right? In fact, your subtitle in your Bible probably reads, laborers in the vineyard, Right? And yet, right away, Jesus says, Hey, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. In fact, notice how he ends this parable with all of these I and and me pronouns that he emphasizes. He says, Cannot I do what I want? And look at what I am doing. And, And notice my reward. And it's I, 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 me, me, me. This is a picture of me. This is a picture of Jesus. It isn't a mistake then that immediately after this parable, Jesus foretells of his death the third time because the last will be first. This is a parable about the master, the kingdom of heaven. It's like him, okay? Here's the deal. The theme of divine generosity is heightened if we understand the first century Palestinian context, okay? Uh, Day laborers, they had no protection, y'all. All right. In fact, at least slaves, at least they had the covering of their masters. But day laborers, they had no social welfare program. Okay. Uh, There was no unemployment benefits. There were no unions to protect laborers' rights. This isn't the Midwest, right? 
Like, like, and here's the further reality of this understanding. The landowner had everything he needed in verse two. We already said that, okay? In verse three, he's just going out there and out of the generosity of his heart, he then hires the next three groups of people. He didn't need them. He already had what he needed. He just hired them out of generosity. Then he excessively pays them to re-highlight the generosity of the master's heart. In other words, God does not need to save us family. He does not need extra work in his vineyard. He has everything that he needs without hiring another single worker. And yet he graciously hires more and more and more and more laborers in the vineyard, putting you into the vineyard and then paying you as if you were some of the first apostles doing the most gospel work when you and I really, we've been hired last y'all, right? Y'all tracking with me? God wants to be generous to us. This idea is not about us. It's about him and his generosity. This is what the parable is highlighting because the kingdom of heaven is like him. It's benevolent. It is generous. See, when we apply the parable to ourselves, when we think about uh, uh, us over the master or over Jesus, then you are going to be all confused as to what's happening here. But if you realize what it's talking about, Jesus, it begins to be unbelievably rich, y'all. Okay, think about Matthew now. Why is this important to Matthew? Well, Matthew seemed to be last in this world, right? He was a tax collector. Nobody liked tax collectors. Everybody hated them, okay? And yet, then Matthew is invited in by God as if he was first, y'all. God wanted him, God loved him, and he invited him in. But then Matthew had to sacrifice everything as if he was last again. But then Jesus just promised him, in the kingdom of God, you will sit on thrones, is what he says to him, ruling with God. And you and I are in the same boat as Matthew. You see, we were last. We were not worthy to be saved by God. And if you think you were, you have a really warped perspective on the holiness of God. We were unworthy to be saved, but because of our deep sin with him. And yet God is calling you into the field. And if you have said yes to Jesus, you are in the field, beloved. You are saved by God as if you were first, right? But now you have to begin to sacrifice for Jesus and you have to start laying down your life and you start losing respect or privileges or honor or time or money as if you're last again. But Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, look, if Christ hasn't raised, then we are a people to be most pitied. Why? Because we're sacrificing all this stuff. It's as if we're last once again. And yet, right, like, like, this is not true in the kingdom of God. We need to reorient our minds. Like, think about what Paul is saying there, right? Like, there's so much more you could do with your time than set up chairs on a Sunday morning. Or is there? Or is there? Is that the most important thing that you can do? What if every single sacrifice was actually rewarded a hundredfold? Do you see the kingdom rightly? Do you believe that, y'all? Like, I'm really asking your heart that, right? Like, do you believe that every single sacrifice that you are making for the king will be rewarded a hundredfold? If I told you right now, I will reward whatever money you give me a hundredfold, you'd empty your bank account, 
right? And here Jesus is saying, this is true for us as well. Your sacrifice isn't actually sacrifice. It's really eternal investment. It's not sacrifice because though you're last, you'll end up being first. And so it may feel like you're losing, but you're not. You're really gaining everything, y'all. And so this parable, it messes with us because on the surface, it seems unfair if we think about the worker. But if we think about the master, y'all, gosh, this parable alivens. This story is not about you. It's about God. And yet you get the benefits as if you were God. What? Right? So now you're ruling on the throne with God. That's what's actually unfair. And yet on the throne with God, one day you will be, according to Revelation. That's the end for all of us who believe in Jesus. You see, the real worker in this story, the gospel message here is Jesus himself. Jesus is the only one who's really been working the entire day right? Jesus is the first worker. He's been working throughout all of eternity to save you and I. We are the last worker, and yet we get everything. What, y'all? I'm gonna throw this thing off this freaking stand. Okay, so now Tori's entitlements of like, well, I've been serving you for the last 30 years. is like, yeah, okay, but Jesus has been working for all of eternity. I've been hired like five seconds ago comparatively, right? Like, like y'all, and yet you and I are on the throne as if we're God himself. That's what he just promised in the passages before and in the book of Revelation. You see, Jesus is the actual worker that faced the heat of the day, verse 12. He's the actual worker that went out and faced not just the scorching Palestinian sun, but the fires of hell themselves so that you and I would be saved. And he looked as if he was last, y'all. And in some ways, he was. Because Jesus died drinking the wrath of God that you and I deserve. Jesus died facing the full punishment of our sins. Jesus was treated as if he was last. The son of God came to be last. He came to be a slave or a servant, as verse 28 says, just a few passages later. And yet Jesus is the alpha. He's the first. He became last so that you and I who were last might be first in him, ruling forever with him one day, y'all. The kingdom of heaven is like a master who is really, really, really good. He is really good, who rewards a hundredfold as if you were the first laborer, when in reality, it's actually him. Jesus is the mastermind storyteller, and he asks, hey, is your eye bad? Are you seeing things clearly? Are you looking at the wrong thing? This whole time we're looking at the laborer when in reality, you should be looking at the master. When we zoom into our lives, beloved, when this parable or this book or this walk with Christ, when it becomes about us, it gets all sorts of confusing and it seems unfair and unjust. But when it is about the master, everything opens up and you realize how privileged you are to be in the vineyard family that you get the benefits of God. When the story is about the master and you fix your eyes on Jesus, man, oh man, does everything make sense, y'all. Everything makes sense. We are looking to our rewards when we should be looking to our reward, Jesus. And if you see rightly, then you will be able to run fully forever, y'all. 
you will endure in this life. If you focus on yourself, it will never seem fair because you are giving up a ton if you're a Christian. You're becoming last, right? But if you focus on the master and if you believe the master's promises and if you realize that the master gave up everything and he became last, but now he is the alpha on the throne forever. He is at the right hand of God and that is your reward too. If that is the truth, then everything makes sense despite your sacrifice here on earth. And so, beloved family, the, the application of this parable, it's really, really simple. You should want to be in this type of kingdom. It's the only one that rewards you as if you got hired at 6 a.m. when you got hired at 5 p.m. But also, nothing you do for the Lord is in vain, y'all. Nothing. It will be rewarded a hundredfold. You will get Jesus and all of Jesus's benefits if you endure with him to the end and everything you give will be returned. And so I pray you'd invest in the kingdom for the rest of your lives. And remember that the kingdom of heaven, it's like a master. Don't let your eyes be bad on this earth, family. Focus on the right things. Focus on the right one, Jesus. Take your eyes off of yourself, put your eyes on Jesus and your entire life will make sense. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray.